I knew we were going to do it face to face. Oh, gotcha. Um, I just didn't. I don't know. I just wasn't expecting that. Yeah, it'd be a lot easier that way. Just doing it on the phone. But no, man, I bit the bullet and I was like, you know what? I'm just getting all the freaking uh, equipment. That's cool. Yeah, my wife was a little pissed, but I was like, I've been wanting to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, that's what's up. Not much. So we get started here. I already hit okay. record, man. So we're oh, you recording. did. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. So, uh, welcome everybody to uh, Tell Me Something Podcast. Hello. I'm your host, Cruz Villanueva, and then I have uh, Josh Hobson over That's here. That's right. Yeah. Hello. You are you are the first guest, man. Hey, man. Somebody's got to be first. That's right. Um, hopefully. Hopefully you won't regret it when you have a bunch of people under your belt. <laughs> I doubt that very much, man. Yeah, I don't know. Dude, I raced a Corvette uh, on the way here to get here, which um, <laughs> hindsight was stupid because I drive a Honda. Yes. But, you know. You know, I, to me, racing in general is not, not a smart move. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, but a Honda versus a Corvette probably doesn't work out too well in your favor. Nope, not at all. But, <laughs> you know, I uh, I got here as fast as I could. So Hey, I appreciate that, man. <laughs> You were definitely punctual. What, what time is it? It's 5.01. 5.01. Yeah. Hey, man. Look at that. Call me you, a lot of things, early. but I'm, I'm not ever late for dinner, and um, I guess I'm batting a 1,000 on being on time for podcasts. Nice, nice. So this is your first one? Uh, not my f- – well, yeah, that I've been on. Uh, I listen to them <laughs> all the time. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Dude, uh, so no lie, when you said yes, it's like been on my mind since – since then it's like i've just been looking forward to the podcast um so the wife was going to be on here too yeah. but she's like you know what you get on there have the interview i'll wrangle up the kids i know how excited you are so just take care of business hey that's like, awesome fuck yeah shout out to uh shout out to our better halves right absolutely for making the sacrifice yep. absolutely yeah dude so, um so is this you this is hosted on anchor is that what this is yeah so that's a platform i'm using and they push it out to uh to different platforms right now we have spotify breaker um and i can't remember what other platforms hmm. but yeah spotify and anchor are the main ones yeah yeah so the reason i ask is because um my childhood best friend growing up uh he's he's based in los angeles now he's a, a live event host and mc he hosts you know super bowl and um nba all-star he it's the host for the LA Kings, the LA Chargers no shit. Like on game days and things like that. But one of the things that he was involved in was um, he was one of the original founders of Anchor. And so, uh, yeah, just thought it was kind of cool that, you know, seeing this come up on Anchor and then be like, oh, you know what? Hey, this was enabled by a guy that um, I used to get in a lot of trouble with <laughs> growing up. So uh, shout out, Danny. Look at that, yeah, man. man. It comes full circle. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Definitely. So, dude. So, uh, a little bit about why I wanted to bring you on here. So, the whole thing with this podcast, I want to bring people on and like share cool ass stories or okay. you know a little bit about their background. You know, not necessarily ugh, can't even speak, but not famous. Sure. But have stories. It's like, damn. Yeah. Well, why don't if, more people yeah, hear this? If you were if you were looking for somebody famous, man. Um, I'll definitely be a letdown, but jokingly, um, you'll be famous after this. Yeah, maybe (laughs) jokingly, uh, with those close to me, I like to tell people and hopefully this doesn't sound pompous, but I'm like the most connected, like normal dude. You are, you Uh, are, man. It it sounds terrible to actually say out loud. And I, I wish like hell I could hit rewind five seconds and take it back. Uh, but there it is. Um, (laughs) 
you know, I, I just, dude, I know a lot of people. No. And I totally believe <laughs> you. And I think the same thing, um, because there's, you're always throwing in, it's like, oh yeah, I know that person. No, or I did this with that person. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, you know, we've done this together. We worked on this together. It's like, yeah. damn, you just know everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of fun to think about. And, um, you know, I, the, the whole, the, the way that it even came about, you know, I grew up a military brat. My dad's retired air force yeah. and, um, our family, we are from, uh, the vaunted cornfields of Nebraska, uh, and so, uh, had I stayed there and grown up there, I, you know, obviously probably never would have worked out the way it did to, yeah. to kind of make connections with people and things like that. But, um, just, yeah, I grew up, uh, all around the U S lived overseas as a kid and, uh, just have done so- a somewhat good job of keeping relationships alive and I think you've uh, done an awesome job. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, People so, yeah. definitely know you. Uh, no, no. People, yeah. people don't know me. I know people. <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's definitely a distinct difference between the two. Uh, I will argue with you, man, because after yesterday's story that you told, uh, which I can't believe I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Uh, and you'll tell it here shortly. But, you know, to start it off, people reached out to you because your name was being thrown around. So yeah, you're, I guess you're yeah. definitely known. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. For good reason. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, your reputation certainly precedes you. Uh, so that's one of the things that I've certainly taken to heart, uh, just as a kid and, and growing up and I guess just being mentored by, um, great, great men and women, uh, along the way. It's yeah. one of those things, man, like you have to protect your, you have to protect your reputation. So, um, that doesn't mean that, you know, you, you're shady about it, but you know, you just better make sure that you're you're doing the right things. Absolutely. So, man. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yesterday's story. So it has to do with, uh, John Chapman, mm-hmm. the great John Chapman. Uh, this, that dude, he was a badass. Yeah, man. Uh, medal of honor recipient. Yep. Was he the air force first medal of honor recipient after or within? So he, Afghanistan? yeah. So Chappie, as he is affectionately referred to, um, he is the first, Air Force recipient for, uh, I guess, what is known as the War on Terror. Yeah. Yep. So, um, you know, he he earned it for uh, his actions uh, in the, the battle for Roberts Ridge, uh, Operation Anaconda, back mm. in October of 2001, um, when he, uh, you know, when he did what he did and gave his life to, to protect his teammates there um, on a mountaintop in Afghanistan. So... Uh, he, he certainly deserves it. And, you know, the, I think the real shame here is that it took, uh, as long as it did, um, you know, 17, 17 or 18 years uh, too long, you man. know, to, to actually be formally recognized for, for what he did. So, um, happy to pay, play a, a very small part in it. Uh, there, you know, uh, he, you know, one thing that, to make incredibly clear for everyone is, you know, Hey, it was a, it was a team effort uh, on the part of those who did the legwork to uncover the truth. But, um, none of us are responsible for him earning the medal of honor. Definitely. You know, he did that. Yep. And so, um, when I do tell the story, uh, I make sure to tell people that, you know, like, Hey, this is, this is not something that I did. This is not something that the team did, you know, 
John Chapman did that. Yeah. And we just made sure that there was truth in reporting yeah. essentially. So, um, but yeah, so I, I guess to get to the story, um, you know, in I think April of 2016, uh, then Secretary of the Air Force uh, Deborah James, uh, on on orders from the Secretary of Defense uh, Ash Carter at the time, began a a review of battlefield valor awards for airmen uh, in in the in the war on terror. And so um, there were there were several I think that went up. Um, I probably would have bet money that Jason Cunningham, Senior Airman Cunningham, who was a pararescue man or a PJ, uh, would have been one of the recipients of an upgrade. Yeah. Um, however, I think upon review, it was determined that um, you know the Air Force Cross was was valid as an award for him, uh, which you know is, is nothing to shake a stick at. Oh, not at all. Uh, it's the second highest uh, award that that an airman can receive for uh, heroics on the battlefield, but. Uh, John Chapman, you know, he also had an Air Force Cross for his actions in that battle, and uh, it was it was high time that you know he he got the Medal of Honor uh, formally awarded. So uh, there was a uh, a team of of airmen and um, special tactics officer assigned uh, to this project through Air Force Special Operations Command, and you know he they 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 got to work. Um, uh, and so they, they were able to review a lot of the after action reports, autopsies, uh, handheld photography, uh, some of the, the full motion video feeds from, uh, overhead, uh, aircraft flying around, uh, that, that have sort of been made famous, um, over the last, you know, two decades, uh, the predator, uh, predator drones and, uh, and an AC-130 gunship that was flying overhead. Um, and so... Their work uh, was was amazing, was spot on. It was everything that it needed to be. However, uh, upon review from the Secretary of Defense and his legal team, uh, it was determined that they did not have anybody on the team that was outside of the Special Operations Command or AFSOC family. And so essentially what they were told was, can't grade your own homework. Yep. you got to have outside set of eyes, uh, essentially on this. And so, uh, that's where I come in. Um, I was, I was contacted, um, when I was living in Miami, Florida at the time and, uh, you know, somewhat vague, uh, conversation on the phone. This, this, uh, the, the officer that was in charge, uh, I guess the, as the program manager that was overseeing everything reached out to me on the phone. Uh, I'll never forget it. It was a Thursday night. I just, got done cooking dinner and I uh, was kind of cleaning up and uh phone rang and he was like, Hey, is this, this Josh Hobson, you know, I'm, I'm so-and-so and, um, I have a, a project that I think you might be interested in. You know, your name was passed to me as being someone who could potentially help. And so, uh, I, I was intrigued. And so, um, we couldn't really talk too much over a regular cell phone connection. So, uh, we made plans to talk the next day over uh, more secure means. And um, that's when I sort of found out at the time the classified details of what was going on. And so um, very quickly, I, you know, I, I agreed to, to come on as a, as a member of the team and, and do what I could um, to, to help, you know, validate what was going on. And so 
that happened, that conversation took place on a Friday morning. Uh, I got permission from uh, my boss at the time um, to kind of put the rest of my duties on hold and uh, have this be my number one priority for however long that it took. And so he very quickly agreed, you know, hey, yeah, do it. How long did the process take you? A day. Oh. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a lot longer, yeah. um, but it was uh, it was pretty quick, man. He, the the guy, he flew down uh, on Sunday to Miami, and uh, Monday morning we got to work. We met up. We had our pleasantries for, you know, 15 minutes, kind of talking through how it was going to go. Yeah. And um, we ended up using the office of the uh, ambassador to um, U.S. Southern Command. It was vacated at the time. There were there wasn't anybody in there, so yeah. we just sort of closed the door and and got to work. It is a lot of brain work in, a, in yeah, one man. day. Yeah, Damn. it really was. Um. So so what did what did I do? I was given a laptop, a hard drive. Um, I was given after action reports, um, AARs as they're known, where that's you know something happens in the military and we write a report on it afterwards, you know, trying to capture the highs, the lows, what could have been done better, where do we go wrong, this, that, and the, this, that, and whatnot. Um, handheld photography, uh, I don't know if I mentioned autopsy reports, um, the original paperwork for John Chapman, uh, the, the Medal of Honor, uh, or Air Force Cross, essentially. Um, and yeah, so there was, there was I, th- I want to say there was, I'm pretty sure there was three separate feeds uh, that I had to watch of the battle uh, taking place. So the whole premise of this, if the listeners don't know, is um, there was it was SEAL Team Six and uh, an Air Force combat controller, John Chapman. They had inserted onto a mountaintop uh, to perform a, a reconnaissance mission. Uh, however, uh, unbeknownst to them, there were some dug-in uh, insurgent positions that uh, basically made it so that they were just a big, fat, juicy target. Uh, yep. upon landing. And so, uh, as they were, uh, coming in, um, their Chinook helicopter took, uh, an RPG hit and, uh, petty, petty officer, I want to say first class. So forgive me if I'm wrong. I'm trying not, try not to get this wrong, but, uh, Neil Roberts fell from the helicopter and, uh, the helicopter had to limp back you know, a few miles away to kind of assess the damage and mount a, a rescue mission, uh, for, for this young man, uh, who unfortunately was pretty quickly, uh, surrounded, but no doubt fought valiantly, uh, until he could no longer. And, and so the team, you know, the, the helicopter, they were able to, to go back and, and, uh, and try to get his, his body back. And so, um, John Chapman, he was one of the the first, if not the first, off the helicopter, and uh, began began charging uh, the insurgent positions, and and ultimately, you know, he he took some he took some rounds to his his uh, his upper body, his torso, uh, but it, they didn't kill him, and so that's sort of where this story starts to to break down in the eyes of the Air Force and the special tactics community and air force special operations command vice, um, so, you know, some, some other folks who, who think maybe that, you know, this isn't what happened. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the famous military author, Carl von Clausewitz, you know, he, he wrote 
a book called On War, and in it he talks about the fog of war. And and really what that is, very in layman's terms, is stuff's happening all around. Decisions and planning, all of that it goes out the door, and you make the best decision for yourself, your men, and the mission at the time. And so maybe you don't have, you know, mental clarity. Yeah. You know, that's when you hope uh, training it, kicks in. Exactly. Right? That's where that's where training kicks in. And so, um, you know, at the time, uh, Chappie, he was he was laying down, uh, uh, I believe, on his back, and uh, he appeared to the the untrained eye to be dead. And so the team, the SEAL Team Six, you know, they they made the decision to to do what's called a bound back. Uh, they bounded back down the side of the mountain. Uh, to save the rest of the team uh, because they were just taking way too effective fire uh, on their position. So yeah. it was either, you know, keep fighting and potentially everybody dies or, you know, is severely wounded on that mountaintop or regroup and, and try to do it again uh, with more more forces. And so as this was happening, uh, Chappie caught his second wind. Um, and so at this point, you know, he got up, he was able to charge the fortified bunker um, that these these two guys, these two insurgents, were in, and uh, he engaged man, that them. in itself is badass. Yeah, yeah, it really is, man. He, you know, he's in waist deep snow um, in some parts, much deeper than that. And, yeah, uh, you know, he's 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 firing, he's charging. You know, he's he's at this point, he's got little girls, he's got a wife at home. You know, I, I cannot imagine what was going through his mind during this time. Um, and so he engaged in hand to hand combat in, in this bunker and, uh, killed, killed these guys. And so he's, you know, moving on, uh, to the next bunker. And, and about this time, uh, and then, a, uh, another rescue force, uh, quick reaction, you know, force QRF was, was inbound. And, uh, I believe on this helicopter, this is where Jason Cunningham kind of comes into the story. Um, if not this one, then the next one, but, um, as, the helicopter, this big, you know, target in the sky was coming to land. Um, you know, John noticed that these two insurgents, um, were going to fire an RPG at this helicopter. And so in order to prevent that, he had to get out from cover and concealment and draw their fire away, uh, in order to allow the helicopter to land the rescue force. And so at that point, that is when he, he got his fatal, his fatal wounds. Uh, but one of the things that's really interesting, um, in the autopsy report was that the first wounds that he received, they did not, they had, they had bruising. And so as I understand it, um, dead people don't bruise when you, you know, when you, you get shot or, you know, otherwise whatever's going on, uh, you know, the, the bodily functions stop. Yeah. And so, uh, he had severe bruising and it was noted in the autopsy report from 2001. Um, that, you know, Hey, he wasn't dead. And so, um, ultimately, you know, it was determined that his actions saved the lives of everybody on board, uh, at the time. And, you know, the, the battle continued to ensue and, you know, unfortunately, um, there were, there were more casualties, but, um, you know, they were able to get Chappie's, uh, remains and then Neil Roberts remains, um, back. And so, um, for years, you know, there'd been whispers about, you know, whether or not John Chapman's actions were, 
were in line with the criteria for a Medal of Honor. Yeah. And so finally, um, you know, the Air Force got the green light to, to really start investigating and piecing together through overhead uh, full motion video and all of these disparate pieces of, of evidence and put it together and tell the story of what really happened. And so, um, so, you know, I, I watched everything unfold over and over and over again. And then there was a, um, a piece of software that was overlaid onto these, the, these, these videos, if you will, um, that basically latched on to John Chapman, uh, on the screen. And so, just making it easier to identify. Which yeah, easier to identify. It was it was really a, it was a green dot. Uh, the video's out there on Google. You know, if you if you Google John Chapman video, yeah. you know, um, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. There's there are many. There's a lot of minutes of this this footage that is not out there for public consumption. So, uh, but the highlights are are in there. Yeah. Um, you can watch. And so basically, you know, this green dot. As soon as he appears out of the back of the Chinook helicopter, this dot latches onto his to him. And it never leaves them. And so we were able to verify what we thought with what the computer software was telling us, that that guy doing those actions is, in fact, John Chapman. Yeah. And it was correlated from the, the testimony of some of the, the remaining team members that, yeah, the first dude, you know, that, that guy right there, that's Chapman. Um, so, I, you know, in the end, I had to type up a uh, report. Uh, it was the first letter I'd ever written uh, addressed to the Secretary of Defense. So, um, no pressure, right? Yeah. Uh, so Spell check the hell out of that. Yeah, thing. right, yeah. <laughs> Spell check, yo. Uh, so, you know, I had to tell him who I was, why I was writing him, why I was on the team, what my credentials were, what qualified me to, you know, be doing this. Uh, and then I had to give a recommendation, you know, and, and you know, overwhelmingly. The recommendation was yes, you know, his, uh, according to what it takes to earn the medal of honor, uh, John Chapman earned it yep. unequivocally. And so, uh, packaged everything up, you know, never didn't really hear much, uh, from it. I had a, had a friend that was on the team that, you know, I was communicating with, um, over the course of months. So this was August of 2016 at this point, uh, that this happened. And it's a while back before, uh, it actually came through. Yeah. So what was it? 2018? Yeah. Yeah. 2018. Um, and so, you know, she would share with me, you know, some of the, some of the issues and things like that, that probably aren't appropriate for this conversation. <laughs> um, I don't piss anybody off, but, uh, just some of the roadblocks that the, the team and really the air force as a whole was running into, uh, as to, as to why it was taking so long. And so, uh, once it was actually announced that, yeah, this is approved, uh, things moved pretty quickly. I think it was like less than a month from the announcement that Chappie, you know, hey, it was going to be upgraded to the actual ceremony. Nice. Um, so just, uh, yeah, it was pretty neat, man, that, that he um, was able to to be honored and remembered that way and have the special tactics and Air Force community come together and see one of their own, like, hey, you know, we, we did right by him and his family. It took a long time, yeah, but sure did. we did it. So, uh, yeah, that's my, that's my John Chapman story. Um, so that's, that's something that I'm pretty proud of and uh, as you should be, man. Yeah. yeah. I'd, 
It's incredible just, it's for sure. Cool. So yeah, when I heard it yesterday, uh, I was kind of pissed. I was like, "Why am I only hearing this now?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's one of those things, man. Where um, you you try to relay it to our students. Uh, and, and for those who don't know, uh, Cruz and I, we work together. We're, we're instructors at a, uh, at a schoolhouse in, in, uh, for the air force, uh, teaching, um, I guess just intelligence fundamentals to, to new airmen and, um, try to relate these stories to them. Not, not to brag, not to say, Hey, look at me, but to connect it to the lesson objectives for what they're, what they're learning yep. to say, Hey, this is why it's real. This is why it matters. And, um, for me, the objective here is, Hey, you know, um, full motion video from, you know, overhead, it works, right? Uh, it's one of many different tools at our disposal, but it's something that, you know, you need to take seriously. This, the stuff sat on a shelf for 17 years yeah. and, um, and so our, our skill set for imagery analysts, you know, we teach in a, in a different course here in Texas. Um, you know, it, it might be lost on the students, how important it is. Um, but when you hear something like this, it's like, Oh, okay. You yeah. know, uh, the, the stuff matters. Um, it can, it can be the difference between life and death in a, in a near real time moment, or it can be the difference in honoring someone's memory, the right and legacy, the right way, you know, well, it almost two be. decades later. So, uh, and then, you know, there's, there's some other things that obviously we, we just can't get into in terms of the importance of in you know, the science behind, you know, yep. what we were looking at, but, um, yeah, that's, it's crazy, man. Um, you know, I was certainly impressed because they plucked you out of your job where you were at and you had mm-hmm. nothing to do with AFSOC, but there, your name was kicked around yeah. by people pretty high up. I mean, you wrote a letter to the sec def. So, yeah. uh, so you knew, or everybody knew like this dude's badass at his job. <laughs> awesome imagery analyst. Right. Um, so to be, uh, given that privilege to be thrown on that team and write up your report and give your two cents and have that factor into yeah. the fact that John Chapman received that medal of honor and you had something to do with it. It's like, that makes people's career sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's really neat about it. Um, so the team that, that was actually stationed, um, at Holbert field in Florida that actually did this. Um, so we have something in the air force called airman leadership school and it's, um, our airmen attend this when they are at the point in their career where they, you know, they are becoming non-commissioned officers and the, the first level of really of, uh, official leadership, uh, in the air force, you know, it's a, was it six weeks still? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Six yeah. weeks. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, you know, a curriculum. It's, it's a lot like going to college. Um, you learn these leadership principles and things like that and heritage and history and all these things. But something that's really neat is that the, the team that did this, um, that was on the original team, they're actually featured now in the ALS curriculum. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is something that the air force is latching onto that, that says, Hey, like our enlisted airmen had a hand in this, Yeah. you know, and this is why it's important. Um, and so I, I think it's pretty cool that, you know, we are making sure that the contributions of folks, um, 
aren't forgotten. Yep. You know, that, that, you know, while the main story is Chappie getting the medal of honor, there were also other folks who had to do a tremendous amount of legwork. Definitely. That, you know, without them, it's not going to happen. Right. And, um, they, they don't talk about this. You know, the only reason I talk about it is because I'm in a classroom setting where it's a relevant story. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah you, know, you definitely you, don't go around. Just, yeah, you know, you and I. We, hey, guess we, what I did? <laughs> yeah, we've sat next, you know, to each other for the better part of the last year. Yep. You know, and uh, so it's, and you're about to leave, and I'm barely here in this story. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, it's just it's just one of those things, man. Uh, you know, AFSOC, You know, they they have the term quiet professionals, and they yep. take that seriously. Yeah, so. yeah, they do. Yep. Uh, yeah, different or uh, different parts of that story. Maybe it might have been a different one, but it kind of alludes to that. The, yeah, the quiet prof- yep. professionals part. Yep. Um, yeah, the first so coming into the Air Force, I knew uh a little bit about uh John Chapman. And then I first read about his story in uh that book, uh Not a Good Day to Die. Mm-hmm. And when I read what happened to him there, I was thinking to myself, Why the hell does he not have a Medal of Honor? Yeah. Like yep. some of the details are, are, are in there, not everything that yeah. you that you went through and, and scrubbed and whatnot, but I mean the bulk of it is there enough to say he needs a medal of honor. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, not a good day to die. I think it was written by Pete Blaber. Yep. Yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Pete Blaber, yep. uh, retired, um, Delta force operator. Uh, so the, the army will, you know, the army brethren will probably hate me for saying this, but it's the army's version of the Navy SEALs. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, anti, you know, counter terror unit, crack unit. Um, but yeah, you know, Pete Blaber wrote about it. Um, you know, Chappie's sister wrote about it in Alone at Dawn. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but there's a little bit of controversy there with that book being authored. And, and Yeah, and there is. But, um, uh, you know, Sean Naylor, the the New York Times columnist and, and you know, uh, author of several books, you know, he I know he wrote about it a lot. He actually wrote a New York Times article about this process that, the, that we went through for the upgrade. And, um, he had a lot of juicy details that he should not have had. So, you know, somebody was talking, yep. uh, I'm pretty sure they found out who it was, but, um, you know, we're, we're allowed to talk about it now. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 This is on class. For yeah, sure. yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. But, no, we wouldn't be on here. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, man. So it, that's just, that's one of the stories. Um, I don't know. What else you got? Dude. Um, so that's a story I wanted to hear for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so we have been working over the course of the year. Um, so yeah. What, what do you have? You got, you yeah. Got, so, you got well, I mean, yeah, I, I have, I took some notes, man. I went, you know, I think I texted you yesterday. We were talking about this. Yeah. Um, so I just sort of went back through the Rolodex of memories and, and, uh, and just wrote wrote some stuff down. They're like, "Hey, that might be kind of cool to talk about." Um. So I I don't know, man. What do you? Um, how much time do we have? As much time as you want. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So I don't I don't have a time limit for this. Uh, Here, I'll let you. I'll work. let you look at that. And you can pick. Right. If we need to, we could break this up into different segments and okay. and post it that way. But uh, let's see. Let's see what we got here. <laughs> It just says target poop story. <laughs> Let's start with How that. Do we, yeah, I don't know if we want to follow. Uh, 
with that. I don't know. This incredible maybe, story that maybe yeah, maybe about we your career. End, yeah, maybe we end with that. I don't know. Yeah. Um so you know this maybe we talk about the 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 nuclear missile mishap. Oh shit. Because, Is that on there? Did I miss that? Uh it should be the top one. Yeah, so you wouldn't know that from reading it. Okay. So so I have notes in my iPhone. Um one because I don't use an Android. Not a buffoon. But uh yeah, that's how you offend half the audience. Um Oh, there's another one too. Okay, so anyway, let's talk about this this missile truck. All right. So uh all of I don't know that um I was supposed to survive this. So um I I was not always a uh intelligence bubba in the Air Force. Um so my first job in the Air Force um I was a intercontinental ballistic missile maintainer. And Sounds so, fancy. Yeah, that's a mouthful, right? Um <laughs> it sucked. I hated almost every moment of that job. And it wasn't because it was the job, it was just because it was a swing and a miss on like me. Right. Like I, I just, first of all, I wasn't very good at it. Yeah. Like I, uh, my friends that I joined the air force with and, you know, we went to training in Southern California, um, along the coast there where they, they do the training for this. Um, I remember like looking at one of my buddies who, you know, was a mechanic, you know, before he joined the air force and I'm looking at him holding this wrench in my hand and I'm like, <laughs> what does he mean by drive socket? You know, like, I mean, so I was like way behind the eight ball on this career field. And like, I knew it like after it was too late, like the point of no return (laughs) that I was like, oh crap, I'm in over my head. Yep. Right. Um, But, you know, I, I, I worked my butt off and, and, um, got to be pretty good at it. You know, there's, I'm I'm certainly not (laughs) the best missile maintainer that ever lived. I would, I would never, (laughs) Um, so, you know, I, I'd, I'd done my time, uh, learning the job as a team member and, uh, and I, I eventually rose to, uh, the, the position on a particular team called team chief. And, uh, it was pretty short lived, you know, uh, pretty much like a day. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, I was a staff sergeant at the time and my job, uh, was to literally, put in the ground and take out of the ground the boosters for these missiles that, you know, go up into outer space and, and, uh, uh, can basically reach anywhere in the world in 30 minutes or less. Not gonna lie, that sounds like a heavy responsibility. Yeah, man. Uh, and it really is, you know, we, we trust 18, 19 year old young men and women to, to, dr- to drive these things and work hands on with them and take them apart and, you know, put this, the guidance and the actual nuclear bomb, on top of this missile inside of a <laughs> silo and in the middle of nowhere, you know, North Dakota or Montana, uh, they, they really are, um, uh, unsung heroes of our, our service. You know, they, it's, it's not something that hopefully will ever be used again. Yep. Um, and you know, they're these, these men and women, man, they're incredible at what they do. Um, so I'm definitely lucky to have, you know, done, 
you know, five, five and a half years with them. But, um, yeah, I definitely waved goodbye frantically with a smile on my face when it was time to go do something else. <laughs> yeah. Find something that fits you a little better. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, I was a team chief in training and our, our job that day was to, uh, put in the ground a missile so that a, another team in a couple of days could come stack the, the brains of the missile and the bomb on top. And so, um, I was the driver of something called a transporter erector. It was a, or it is a, uh, 147,000 pound semi truck when it's loaded with a missile. So it's uh, back in the, I don't know if this is still true, but back then, you know, we were always told, Hey, this is the largest vehicle on us roadways. Um, when it's, when it's loaded. And so that particular day, I remember it, um, it was 70 miles away from base. So these, these nuclear missile sites are spread out in farmer's fields and oil fields and, and small towns, you know, all over the place. And if you're, if you're driving by down the highway and you blink, you'd probably miss one of these sites. You just never know they were there. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we're, we're traveling on this road that was also shared by a lot of the, the oil company trucks and it just wasn't really well maintained. Um, and so we'd made it, you know, it was probably an hour and 20 minutes drive or whatever. We made it there safely and, uh, we were pulling onto the access road. Right. And so, uh, when you go through driver's training to learn how to drive these trucks, you know, they, they teach you how to do a, what's called a button hook turn where you, if you're turning left, you first turn the wheel to the right and you kind of swing out and yeah, big body turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, I had a spotter that was hanging out of the window. One of my buddies, uh, that was on the team and, uh, he was, you know, checking the, the wheels on the, the right side of the truck, uh, for exactly what was about to happen. And so, um, I just remember, you know, he looked over at me really frantically, like, and he was just like, go left, go left. And it was like, right at that moment, I felt the back ass end of this truck start to tug. Oh, like, shit. and before I could process anything else, man, we were airborne on the side. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. And so we, we fell, uh, left to right. And so, um, the guy that was hanging out of the window, thankfully got his arms back inside the truck cab. So he wasn't crushed. Um, but he was momentarily knocked out cause the fire extinguisher and our, uh, broke loose and, you know, hit him, I think in the head. Yikes. Um, and so, you know, I'm sitting there like dazed, like what just happened? <laughs> oh, you know, man. life flashed before my eyes. I've got this, I've got the equivalent of like 70,000 pounds of TNT, um, six feet behind me, you know, and we, and I just dumped it into a ditch <laughs> pretty much. And nothing happened to it. Um, not at the time. So the, you know, it was a, a I don't know, felt like an eternity. I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm suspended in the air. So the <laughs> truck cab is like 10 feet up, 12 feet up. And I'm hanging there by my seatbelt and I'm yelling at my buddy to, to wake up. And by that point, um, the rest of the team that I'm sure were probably like, what in the world just happened? They'd run over to the truck and there was like a small fire that was breaking out in the engine and oh, shit. yeah, so it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. It keeps getting worse. And so they're like yanking the door open, you know, hollering at us. Are you guys okay? We got to get, we got to get down or upwind, you know, away from the toxic fumes that could potentially, um, uh, be produced if this missile 
chooses to catch fire, you know, uh, because once, once this, the fuel in the missile catches, if the spark happens and a fire happens, you cannot put it out. It's just got to burn itself out. And so, uh, monomethyl hydrazine and nitrous tetroxide are contained <laughs> inside the missile. That's the fuel, the solid fuel. And so it, it's poisonous, man. Like one parts per million, I think can kill you. Yikes. Yeah. So we're trying to like do everything that like our, you know, our training, right. The fog of war that I talked y- about yep. earlier, like what's going on. Um, and so, you know, we get, uh, like 2000 feet away from it, you know, this little rinky dink fire, truck with volunteers it's like a f-150 that's painted red with like buckets of water in the back like you know they're they're coming down the road with their siren and um we're setting up a cordon because we've got this you know non-nuke tipped missile you know like in the middle of the road uh just just stupid man so that day just so happened to be the numbered Air Force commander at the time, uh, Roger Berg. He was at Minot Air Force Base, like, visiting. <laughs> um, so I'm like, great. The two-star is going to come out to the site to see what happened. I'm going to die. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, uh, me and the, the spotter, the passenger, you know, we were whisked away and separated from everyone. And, you know, we had to be drug tested, you know, urine, yep. blood. We had to have a full workup, a uh, flight physical, essentially. Yeah. And I'll never forget, you know, we, we got on a helicopter to fly uh, back to base 70 miles and to, to get to the hospital to, you know, get this test underway. And I remember the flight doc, he like, I was laying down on my back and he like grabbed behind my knee and was like yanking on my knee. And he was enamored with this clicking sound in my knee and he was grabbing my left knee and he was like, Oh, this one doesn't do it. And like, is that my, that's my phone chiming. Um, and I just remember thinking there like, dude, I just put, I just dumped a missile on the ground. I don't give a flying frickety frack. Oh, you can say Nah, you know, my mom might listen to this. (laughs) Um, you know, I don't give a rip about my knee right now. Like, am I going to be okay? Like I, you know, my first kid was going to be born like in another three months. Oh my gosh. Uh, and so I've got all these thoughts going, you know, racing through my mind, like my life and career is over (laughs) and I don't even like this job. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst. (laughs) So they did the workup. Um, so the the colonel that was in charge of the wing, um, you know, he made it. He was like, "Okay, you can you you can no longer drive, you know, in the missile field." Which I was like, "Fine by me." I didn't like doing that shit anyway. <laughs> uh, and so, um, an investigation took place. They had a what's called an um, SIB and an AIB. So they're there, and they serve two different purposes: the safety investigation board, I think in the accident investigation board. So the safety investigation board, the purpose of that is to determine why something happened. The accident investigation board determines fault. Mm. So that's the one that you really had that like was weighing on me, you know? Um, because at that point, like, you know, I knew that I wasn't driving reckless. We were driving less than one mile per hour when this happened. And and there were people walking along the side of the truck in the road. So Uh, that ball just happened slowly. Yeah, it just happened super slow. Um, And, you know, I'd been replaying the training in my mind. I'm like, I did the button hook. You know, if I would have cut it to the left too sharp, we would have fell the other way because of the slope of the road leading onto the launch facility. So, like, to me, it felt like a lose-lose. And so um, 
the safety investigation board, they determined that the cause was uh, too much traffic on these roads by both the base as well as the increase in traffic from the oil companies. And what was happening was these gravel and dirt roads were um, the, the layers, the top layers of it were being pushed left and right. And it created something called a false shoulder. And a false shoulder is where it's non-reinforced road, but it looks like road. Gotcha. So, so it just collapsed. It just it collapsed. And so it had been raining for like two weeks straight oh, leading up yeah, to this. So it was help. just like a series. It was like lemony snickets out there, right? Like just a bunch of unfortunate events. Um, and so it was determined that, you know, no matter who was driving that day, that road was going to collapse yeah. because the turn had to be executed as it was. Um, and you know, there, there were other people on the base like CE that had pencil whipped their road inspection the day prior. Um, just, just a bunch of stuff. The road maintenance hadn't been, you know, undertaken by the base in years. It was supposed to happen, you know, regularly. So it just all built up to where this young dude was essentially the fall guy. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, thankfully, I, you know, my leadership at the time, uh, you know, they, they really had my back and uh, kind of kept me from kind of going over the edge. But the accident investigation board uh, determined that the driver was at fault. What? Right? Yeah. So this is the one where the signs blame. And so this AIB was chaired by this old colonel. Like, I'll never forget him, man. He, he looked the first time I ever saw the bad guy in Game of Thrones, like the the night King, I was like, Holy crap. He's back. He's back. (laughs) This guy, you know what? I haven't said anybody's name so far in this podcast, but I'm going to out him because he was a giant prick to me. Oh, here we go. (laughs) So Colonel, I think his first name was John, but his last name was Armin trout. I'm fairly confident. He's probably dead at this point. And if he's not, (laughs) honestly, I don't give a, I don't care. Like, um, because he just, he treated me like I was a on trial for murder Damn. in this investigation. And he had this pompous lawyer, this major that was with him. And, um, you know, I, me, you know, I was, dude, I was terrified in this investigation. Yeah, asked me all these questions. Be... Yeah. And so, um, I remember him. So at this time I had, um, I was finishing college. I had a goal of becoming an officer, you know, in the air force and commissioning. And I was getting ready to send my package off. And so these two guys brought this up during the investigation. They were kind of like dangling it uh, in front of me. They were like, so we understand that you have a uh, a package to try and attend officer training school. What do you think about that? You know, like j- I, I was the, first of all, I'm thinking like, what does that have to do with this? Yeah. You know? Um, so eventually, you know, I tell them like, yeah, you know, I'd, there's a board that meets later this year. You know, I'm trying to meet and, I just remember this guy, Colonel Armand Trout, he like put his pen down and he uh, leaned over the table at me and pointed at me. He was like, you will never be an officer in the air force when I'm done with this investigation. And so, you know, had I not been so green, like I should have left there immediately and gone straight to the IG or, you know, legal or something to go tell immediately that this guy was trying to railroad me (laughs) for something that had yet to be determined first of all. Right. Um, because when everything came out in the wash, um, you know, there was wing commanders that were fired. There was a group commander that was fired, um, for, for failing to 
perform the upkeep and the maintenance of these roads yeah. and to provide adequate driver's training that would, because myself and all the other drivers and missile maintainers, we'd never heard the term false shoulder before. Yeah. And so it was just, it, it was nonsensical, man. Um, and so I basically had like a year left as a missile maintainer at that point. Like I was either going to cross train or go be an officer or get out of the air force. Cause I was like, I am not staying in this career field. I'm like P and G at that point, you know? Um, and so, you know, they moved me to a different section, um, where I, you know, made, made some good friends, but just like really wasn't all that happy. And then, uh, eventually, um, I almost cross trained to sear and it ended up not working out the timing. So I, I became an imagery analyst, which led to obviously, yep. um, the Chappie story. It so paid off, man. yeah, it did. So, um, and, uh, jokes on that Colonel because you're an officer now. Yeah. Damn yeah. Good so one. ha ha Colonel Armantrout. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I'm not bitter at all. No, not at all. No, not at all, man. Fuck that not guy, at right? all. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget the look on his face, man. When he'd said that to me. So, but yeah, um, yeah, dude. So that's, that's my missile story. I yeah. Know, like, so <laughs> that is crazy, man. Uh, yeah, did, did anybody get seriously hurt in that? No, no, er- just my pride. Can, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just my that, pride. That's the most important one. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm still in contact with a good number of guys, yeah. uh, from those days. Um, you know, one of my, one of my buddies that was probably a worse knucklehead than me. You know, he went on to be the first sergeant for the Thunderbirds. Nice. Uh, he's a he's gained more rank since then, and yeah. uh, he's he's well on his way to becoming a chief master sergeant. Yeah. So, uh, he and I like to joke about all the trouble that we got in uh, <laughs> as young maintenance airmen. Uh, he cross trained to the flying community. Um, you know, it just it worked out. Yeah. You know, um, I've had people reach out to me like old old older officers that you know have since gotten out like as captains and things like that are like yeah. this is the same josh hobson that you know was shooting windows out with a pellet gun <laughs> that i had to give a lor to i'm like yeah that's me what's up <laughs> <laughs> oh the shit we do is airmen yeah man yeah so a yeah, good takeaway from that story is you can overcome all these obstacles yeah yeah definitely um you know it's you hear all the time, like, oh, you know, back in the, it's a one mistake, you know, uh, service now. Um, had that happened now, I have no clue what you yeah. know, the fallout would be. Yeah. Maybe it wouldn't be, maybe it'd be the same. I don't know. But, you got to have some really good uh, um, leadership. I definitely you. had, definitely had a lot of people looking after me. And I only ended up getting a, a letter of reprimand over this whole thing. Nice. Um, and I remember when I got it, um, the commander that served it to me, like I walked into the room and there was like 10 people in there. For an uh, LOR? Yeah, for an LOR. And uh, he told me, he was like, listen, man, I'm only giving you this to protect you from anybody above me trying to punish you. So I'm not going to make you stand at attention. Take a seat. I'm going to read you this LOR. You're going to sign it. And eventually, it's going to go away. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll never forget that leadership lesson, uh, from that man, that that good, good man. Um, because he knew, you know, so, uh, I took my lumps, got the LOR, you know, was sort of banished from, you know, being the team chief that I was about to be and, uh, (laughs) went over to a a different duty section to kind of finish up my time. But, um, yeah, man, (laughs) 
<laughs> move on to bigger and better things. I guess. I guess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, crazy shit happens to us when we're young, and especially as airmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, you were staff at the time? Yeah, so yeah. I was a staff sergeant at the time. Um, How old were you? Uh, this was 2008, so I was 24. So you were still really young. Yeah, I was still pretty young. Yeah. You know, I, I still was paying high car insurance. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this accident did not help things. That's the only thing to look forward to after 21, right? I know, man. 25, yeah, lower my car insurance. Yep. I remember, I, so I got, like, when I turned 23, that's the one that I was like, oh, my God, I'm old. <laughs> like, I got, like, severely. At yeah, at 23, I got super depressed at turning 23. Uh I just do. I remember being in a funk. I was mad on my birthday. I was just like, <laughs> life is over. My youth is stolen from me. Were you uh, married at the time? Yeah, dude, I was married. Um, you know, my wife, I'm still married to the same gracious, loving, awesome woman. Uh, you know, and we got married young, dude. We got married at 19. Oh, damn. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had Certainly, a lot of people doubt us along the way because there's always going to be that doubt. Oh, sure, sure, and you know, and too, like you know, there's this stigma too in the military that like young people get married because they have to, yeah. Like there's a kid on the way, or there's already a child, or something like that, and so. Um, yeah, the fact that you actually care for the person is always at the bottom of the list. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right. Like, oh yeah, you're getting married for the right reason. Yeah. Um, and so you know, like we we, you know we both doing school, you know, we were traveling, uh, you know, we waited to have kids. Um, and so, um, you know, it hasn't, hasn't always been, you know, easy. Um, we've, we've really grown up together. That's awesome. And, uh, and so it's been fun. Um, you know, we've, we've seen some other friends of ours, you know, that have, that were married right at, you know, just a couple months after us, um, that are still married and, you know, thriving as well. So it definitely can be done. Yeah. Um, but we, I, I think we're sort of the last of like that. Gosh, like millennial age group that was married young, had kids relatively young. You know, we had our first child at 25 mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I've got friends that are sort of in the same age group that are, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I just turned 36. You know, I've got friends that are not married, don't have kids, don't want either of those two things right yeah. now. They're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do that in my 40s. Uh, and, and now I think we're started, sort of starting to see younger people kind of make that shift yep. to waiting to do life Which like is, that. I think it's a smart move. It probably it, is. Um, it, it, I, I, when I look back on mine, because I, I did everything really young. Right? I got married young, got had kids young. I was what? 2021 20, when yeah. I became a dad and I was married at 21 and uh his, it was all just difficult yeah right like yeah. I, I wouldn't change it but uh sometimes I think like if I would have waited later uh would I've been more successful mm-hmm. in, a, in a better spot although I'm living pretty good right now yeah yeah like, yeah it, dude uh you live in this rich neighborhood <laughs> over here that I drove into I was like man what does Cruz do is he hustling <laughs> on the side are you driving for Uber yeah don't tell nobody <laughs> Uh, no, you know what? What's funny is I know when I was growing up, I know I'd see a house like this, like, man, that's the rich people's houses. Yeah. They sell drugs. Yeah. It's always selling drugs. It's always selling drugs. It's never, they're working hard or whatever. Yo, so <laughs> when I, so I, you know, I, I lived for three years in Miami and, um, we were told when we moved in, like, Hey, you're going to see like normal people in your neighborhood driving expensive cars <laughs> and they're very likely connected in some way, shape or form to the drug trade. Yeah. 
And I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a nice neighborhood. Yeah, you know, we lived in this gated community. Like, we had a, a lake 50 feet from our back door. Like, you know, um, and, and dude, I mean, it happened. Like, there was, like, one of my neighbors, you know, lived in this this house, like, a couple doors down, like, one day, like, brought home this this BMW i8, you know, that $250,000 electric <laughs> sports car, you know, and it was nothing to pull into Chipotle and park next to a Lambo or a Ferrari or a McLaren. That's insane. Um, it was crazy, man. I, I enjoyed our time in Miami. I, I don't know that I would ever willingly go back, yeah. but it was something else, man, to pull up at a red light next to Ocho Cinco in his smart car <laughs> and he's smoking a cigar and you're like, yo, what's up, dude? You know, or... Uh, we went to the same pizza place as The Rock. You know, he lived right, in, you know, not in our little neighborhood, but he, his house was, I could run to it oh, from shit. my house, like, and be there in 15 minutes. Um, Damn. Yeah, so that was a, it was a pretty cool time, you know, getting to experience that, that, uh, I don't want to say lifestyle because, you know, I wasn't doing those. I was always at work. <laughs> you weren't into drugs? No, no. I was always <laughs> at work, man. I, I, I was, I was, I was working. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. I got but, you. But uh, yeah, it was cool. I don't Trent, know if so. I could do Miami, man. So, yeah. First off, I'm not a beach person, but I hear Miami's on a whole nother level. Like they're their own little country. It really is. So it's uh, when we moved there, we were told, you know, hey, it's northern Cuba, mm. and that is probably the most accurate statement I've ever heard in my entire life about anything. <laughs> um, you know, if if you don't speak Spanish down there, yeah. like, dude, people get pissed. No shit. You walk into, you know. I don't know, like a dentist's office or a car dealership or McDonald's and someone speaks Spanish to you, you answer in English. Do they get mad at you? You're like, hold up. What country are we in again? Like I get it. that little Havana is like 15 minutes away, but last I checked, this is America. Like, like this is bullshit. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. I've had people get mad at me, like call me out for not respecting my heritage and things like that. You know, because I, I look Cuban or Puerto Rican or, you know, name your brown country, you know? Uh, so people always thought I was a native Spanish speaker. Yeah. And so I'd always have to tell them like, sorry, bro, I'm from Nebraska. You know, like, <laughs> no I, Spanish out there. I, I speak enough Spanish to get by. Yeah. I was going to ask, did you break down and, and learn? Uh, a well, bit? so I had to just because I was always traveling and, uh, spent a lot of time, you know, uh, out of the country and, and Spanish speaking locales and the, the Spanish speakers would, would come to the command that I was at and, you know, we'd have to talk with them or, uh, I never, never ventured into Portuguese, but I got pretty good. I got, I got good enough to be comfortable walking around downtown Bogota by myself. Damn. So that's pretty uh, impressive. Yeah. You know, conversational, I yeah. guess. Um, it, it's definitely rusty now, but you know, I, I, every once in a while I find myself saying something in Spanish or, you know, understanding when I yeah, hear, you could at least somebody. understand. Yeah. Saying, so oh, I think it's one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I took four years of it in high school. Uh, and so I, you know, I wasn't, oh, I wasn't, you know, yeah, I, I took Spanish in high school, man. And I bombed that shit. Dude, your last name is Villanueva. <laughs> I know. Uh, my mom gave me a lot of shit about it. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> so I grew up learning, it was learning like, uh, slang Spanish. So I would okay. argue with my teacher. She's like, uh, this is what you call a pencil. I was like, no, this is what you call a pencil. Yeah, yeah. She's like, you're wrong. So I had a buddy that uh, worked with me um, at Southern Command. He was he was Cuban, and so he would tell me like the Cuban, the the Cuban slang or the you know the Cuban word for whatever you know thing. And so 
I had to remember like not to use those terms and stuff when I was meeting with like people from Columbia. Yeah. Right. Um, because you know, the job, you know, that I was doing eventually was working, you know, for the commander and traveling with him and, you know, being in his, his travel party and meeting with, you know, all sorts of different, you know, speakers. So I uh, just didn't want to offend anybody. Yeah. Did it slip know. at all? Uh, so there's this funny story. I, I was in Columbia. Um, we were sitting around this round table where we it was a diplomatic uh, meeting where we were trying to assess whether or not the Colombians um, had a specific capability. And so they have this um, organization called IGAC, I-G-A-C. I don't remember what it stands for right now, but it's basically a mixture of what we have here in the States as the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, which is, in layman's terms, the Pentagon's um, map-making agency. They do much more than maps. Like, they did the mock-up of the Bin Laden compound. You know, they have all this Gucci, you know, imagery capability. Um, But they also take that capability and they mix it with what NOAA does or the U.S. Geological Survey does uh, here in the States. So they they do multi-pronged, you know, purpose. Gotcha. And so, you know, we're sitting around this table, we're meeting with the director of this agency and I'm like two seats away from him. Um, and so everyone is going around the table in Spanish, introducing themselves, what they do, why they're there and all this. And so I got like super nervous <laughs> and instead of saying me, llamo, you know, Josh Hobson, I, freaking said me hermano (laughs) (laughs) and i remember like right as i said it i was like oh god (laughs) and i did but you know and i looked across the table at this this woman this um nga civilian that was in charge of like the country of Colombia, and she's looking at me like what did you just say Uh, because she i think she was a native spanish speaker yeah and so i was just like ah you know what whatever Y'all ain't kicking me out of this meeting. I would have got the big eyes like, oh, shit, I <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it was. It was so bad. Um, yeah, but, yeah, you know, I, yeah, and it ended up working out, man, because it was shortly after that that I got called down to go work for the commander for the next two years and and kind of, you know, do that. Yeah. So, uh, which was, was pretty damn cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty badass. Yeah. So. Dude, there's uh, so there's something I wanted to ask you about. Uh, so I haven't heard a story, but I've heard it gone around that you've gone viral before. Oh yeah. Uh, so do you remember the, uh, the app vine? Yeah. Okay. So I had a, I, I had a pretty big following on vine. Oh uh, shit. Yeah. How many followers do you have? Uh, it was in the, it was like about a hundred thousand. Damn. Yeah. Yep. So that is crazy. Yeah, man. Um, and this is actually connected to my time in Miami as well, like why I don't have it anymore. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's now defunct, you know, turned it off or whatever, but. It's Mundo to TikTok. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, my friends that are going to be listening to this later, uh, they make fun of me for the amount of time I spend on TikTok. I don't produce TikToks. I just watch them. Yeah. And f- my sense of humor is different from my friends. And so I'll send them something that I like laugh hysterically at. And they respond like, what is wrong with you? You know, I'm like, yeah, whatever. They must be civilians. No, dude, they're, they're, they're all majors and captains. Oh, uh, gotcha. A bunch of prudes. But, um, 
Yeah. So all love though. All love. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's not all, it's not always love with them. <laughs> um, yeah, our, our text thread is, is off the chain, dude. Uh, yeah. If anybody ever sees that text thread, we're all in trouble. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so vine, I, uh, so this was in California, like when vine like started to kind of be, uh, not famous, but popular. Yeah. And so for anyone who doesn't know what vine is, it was a platform that you told stories in six seconds or less, and you could start the camera, stop the camera and do all sorts of, you know, stop motion or, you know, one continuous like stream of six seconds or whatever. Um, and so I, you know, being in the military, I, I obviously met a lot of different personalities. And, and so, um, I started a series called every first sergeant I've ever had. And I just labeled them, you know, part one through, what was that? Oh, my watch is talking to me. Shut up, Siri. Um, and so it, I don't, I don't even remember how many parts it got up to. I know I, I want to say it was like in the eighties or nineties by the time I was done. Damn. And so it would just be like different interactions that I would have with like people I worked with that I thought were funny, um, or interactions that, you know, I saw a first Sergeant do, you know, it was like just over the top. Right. Yeah. And so, um, that is what really like led to like the kind of the mass following. Um, and it happened really, really quickly. Like there was a, there was a guy on vine that like he, he went by Sergeant. He was this army E five that like started like this hashtag military viners. And so like that's, I just started hashtagging my stuff, you know, military viners or whatever. And, uh, just had all these, you know, people just like start following and like revining or, you know, like sharing my videos, putting them on YouTube, you know, all this stuff. Um, and so I ended up leaving California for Miami and I had, you know, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I, I ended up getting hired to work for the four-star general that ran Southern command. Um, and see, this is what I'm talking about, man. Everybody knows you yeah. get, getting all the good jobs. Yeah. Um, and so the guy at the time was John Kelly. Oh, uh, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people know that name. Um, super, super dude. Like I, I owe him quite a bit, but, um, at the time, you know, I had just found out that my vines were being shared by the secretary of the army in his <laughs> week in, in a, a weekly staff meeting. He began to lead his meetings off with a vine of mine. No shit. Yeah. And so that made its way back down to Southcom. And I was told by a Lieutenant Colonel, uh, to, I had to choose between being internet famous and my job essentially. Hater man. I know. I know. And so, but I, but I get it. Right. Cause like, you know, I, but one thing that I always, did, I never cursed on the app. I always made, cause I was always in uniform. And okay. so I never wanted to discredit the service in that yeah. way. Um, I turned down like opportunities to, for marketing and things like that. People wanted to pay me like, you know, money to, Hey, this, this product or whatever, like share it in a vine. I'm yeah. like, well, I can't because the whole thing is built around me being in the, in the military. And so I just, I just can't. And so I'm really proud that, you know, I never, ever, ever like brought discredit upon the service. Yeah. And so, but, but I was told that, you know, Hey, if you are going to be in this position where you are on stage, uh, answering questions with the four star and, you know, being the lead command briefer for Southcom, like you can't, 
this is just a little too much. And so what I did, I was like, okay, so I shut it off. I paused it. Well, back then, every 30 days, if you logged back in, like your account, like stayed active. Yeah. But if you went to 31 days, everything was deleted. Oh. Yeah. And so eventually I forgot. <laughs> and I, I remember I logged back in. It hit me. Um, I was driving home one night and I was like, oh my God, I, it's been like 34 days. <laughs> and so I, I tried to log in real quick and it was like, your account has been disabled. Like it's gone. It's like gone, gone. And I was like, what? Like, all, it's gone. It's so gone, it, was, gone. it was only stored on that app. Like you, you couldn't download them on your phone. Uh, or like that. So I know people have like every once in a while, my kids will find one like on YouTube. They're like, Hey, it's dad. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, I never stored them. Never. They're all on the app. Um, but what's funny is I have been approached like several times about this thing. So the first time it ever happened, yeah, I was in an airport. So you are famous. No, (laughs) no, not famous. I was in an airport in Dallas and, uh, this woman like runs up to me and she's like, Hey, Hey, you're Josh Hobson. And I was like, what? And I'm like, well, yeah, I am. And she's like, I follow you on vine. Like, I, I love you. You know, my husband, he loves you. You're the reason he's joining the, the Navy. And Damn. I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, she's like, can we take a picture? Well, you know, people are like gnats to a flame when, like, something like that happens. Yeah. And so, dude, I got mobbed in, like, the Dallas airport by these people who had no clue who I was. Yeah. They didn't care. People weren't asking who I was. Like, just... I think I probably took like 15 photos with like random strangers. Like, right. That was like waiting in Starbucks, like yeah. for a coffee to board a flight. Um, and she actually ended up being on the same flight and just was like constantly like turning around, like looking at, I was just like, man, this is like, if this is what being famous is like, I want no part. Yeah. Like none. Yeah. That'll get old quick. Um, yeah. And so, but you know, since I've been here, um, I've had students stop me at yeah. like, the grocery store like hey uh were you on an app called vine a few years ago and i'm like yeah yeah that's me and they're like oh my gosh man i used to follow you when i was like in eighth grade and i'm like Damn. all right we're starting to date ourselves here a little bit um, thanks for making me feel old yeah but two of our students actually approached me at one of their job drops oh really and um they were like yo man like you you were you were the first sergeant on Vine, weren't you? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, man, like we love that. Like we talk about it all the time in class. Yeah. And we wondered if it was you. And like we talk about it all the time, but we were just always kind of like embarrassed to ask because it was just so ridiculous. And I was like, nah, man, like what's up? <laughs> so um, yeah, we were, you know took a lot of photos and and whatnot. So haven't been approached in in a while. I think it's probably starting to phase out. Yeah. You know the the demographic. For people who would care, um, but yeah, it was it was a fun little like three four year stretch. That's crazy, man. Yeah. You ever think about trying to do something like that again? Um, I don't know, man. Like I, I've thought about you know doing the doing the TikTok thing, um, but unfortunately, I don't look good in a bikini, and <laughs> that seems to be like what the most popular like videos are is like these scantily clad women like dancing, which I think is stupid. Uh, like it takes zero talent to, yeah. to do any of that. And so, um, try it yeah. out, man. You never know. Yeah. yeah maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but you know, like my kids, you know, they're at the point where they're like, 
they're like, Hey, do you know what TikTok is? And I'm like, like, I'm not 90. Yeah. I know what TikTok is. <laughs> like, yeah. Do, how do you know what TikTok is? You're eight. Yeah. The, you know, my kids beg me to, uh, yeah. yeah don't let them. <laughs> no, but they find the YouTube videos. Yeah. So they're, they put a bunch of TikTok. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know what I use TikTok for? This is going to sound ridiculous. Uh, so I love to cook. Dude, I get recipes like off TikTok. Yeah. I, I made this like, you know, I, I learned how to cook a steak on a stove. Like, <laughs> you know, these TikTok videos or like bomb mashed potatoes or um, uh, there was a dish the other night that we made that. I got off of TikTok. So, you know, it's not all like crazy videos, but you yeah, know, it's, it's yeah. useful. Yeah, it's useful. Yeah. Um, speaking of crazy videos, have you seen the, uh, the, the egg challenge? Like we're like a group. Egg of, challenge. Yeah. So a group of people will line up like maybe like five or six eggs in a row and they'll circle up on a, like a glass bottle, like a beer bottle or a Coke bottle or like maybe a plastic water bottle and they'll mm. spin it. And who, if the bottle lands on you, you have to go like three feet to where the eggs are, pick one up and everyone else runs. I have seen that. I've seen it with like <clears throat> golf balls and yeah. baseballs yeah. and they're doing it with everything. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I saw <laughs> the first one I saw, man, it was, it looked like it was in, um, like public housing. It was this like group of people and this woman, <laughs> this poor woman got drilled like in the back, like in the side of like, it would have hit her in the back of the head, but yeah. she turned to look like uh, right when it connected with like her, her temple area and this egg just like exploded <laughs> a thousand pieces. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I want to play this with my kids, man. Oh, um, it'd be so much fun. Like you could do it with like a wiffle ball, yeah. like golf, golf wiffle ball or a wiffle ball with a bat. Like I think, it'd be, or water balloons. Yeah. Dude. Like, oh, that would be fun. Yeah. I think it'd be funny. But, um, yeah, I think my content production days are are over, aside from this podcast. Yeah. So um, so was it like work for you after a while, like trying to keep up uh, with the viral um, thing? Or it was like you were just having a blast doing it? And just no, it was, it was fun, man, because uh, I ended up collaborating with this Army drill sergeant. It was one of the funnest. So I had, you know, the, the first sergeant bit that I always did. And then um, this Army drill sergeant, like, reached out to me. He was like, because he was filming his his soldiers in training or whatever what, they call was them. it uh that uh what's it do with the y starts with the y oh yusha thomas yeah no no oh, it wasn't him. Man. no it wasn't him it was a different guy um that guy's pretty dang funny though yeah he is. um and so he was like hey i think we could like collaborate on something and i was like okay and so he would always like film you know his his soldiers like you know doing whatever and so what i did is i would um write I'd, I'd film myself writing a, a letter home to mom but then i would also do a voiceover on another phone and have it play like as i was writing sort of like the eminem video stan yeah. where he's like you know dear slim i wrote you but you still ain't calling and you, you see him writing but you hear it so it was the same thing yeah but i was writing home to mom all of the ridiculous stuff that the drill sergeant was <laughs> putting his his soldiers through yeah and uh and so we just started going back and forth you know on that um, so it was never, it was never, uh, a chore, you know, it was, it was a way to be creative and have yeah. an outlet. And I had a blast, man. I, I put my kids in those videos. Um, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, there was the, the one that seemed to like be the catalyst for the mass following 
was it was shortly after don't ask don't tell was repealed yeah and you know you could openly serve as as a homosexual and so i said something to the effect of you know um it's come to my attention that you can now be in the military and and be openly gay and so I will no longer be putting my foot up your, and you know, the, the video cut off where <laughs> yeah. I would have said, you know, ass. Yeah. Uh, and that was the one that like got like in a week's time, like 500,000 views or something yeah, like dang. that. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa, like, okay. And this, that was probably like, happening. yeah, that was probably like the fourth or fifth video that I'd made. Yeah. Uh, so then it, it just became one of these things where, um, I had a flight crew helmet. And so I would like do a lot of the videos wearing like this pilot's helmet, you know, uh, just, <laughs> just like the absurdity of it all. Um, but I was never at a loss for material, man, because the airmen that worked for me, man, <laughs> they, they just provided the, yes. the, the inspiration, you know, <laughs> like one guy, he's overweight, but yet I caught him, you know, double fist and hot dogs when he can't pass a PT test, you know, or eating cupcakes or, um, one guy telling me that, you know, he, he couldn't promote the next day, you know, asking him why. And it's like, oh, well they only had women's stripes for the uniforms. It's just like just stupid stuff, man, that, you know, once you think through like, okay, how can I tell this story in six seconds and have it be funny? Um, like it, it sort of, it became like a challenge, like within itself yeah. to, to do this. Um, and for whatever reason, like people connected with it. And, um, it just, it was, it was a really fun time. Yeah. 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 That creative process, man, it'll, it'll get you going. Yeah. But you know, I, I, and I have like some incredibly like creative friends that have, that are currently doing things, um, that I just marvel at. And I'm like, I could never do that. Um, you know, I've got this buddy of mine in like the best city in the world, Washington, DC, and he's he's a, he's a photographer. He's a former, you know, uh, air force, you know, imagery analyst. And, um, he just, you know, he up one day was just like, you know what? I'm not doing government work anymore. And he had been building like this online community called walk with locals. And, yeah. uh, you know, with, which is, you know, he, he's all about, you know, he grew up as an air force brat as well. And so those of us who've done that and, you know, you see your kids do it as well. Like when you move to a new place, you know, it's, you got to make friends. Yeah. And so, so this guy, Carl, he's, he's really good at that. Um, just making people feel welcomed and, and doing that. And so these, he combined his passion for meeting people with his other passion, photography and going to just different landmarks and photo walks across the city. And it didn't matter if you were shooting on an iPhone or, you know, a $20,000 camera, like come as you are, say hello, walk with someone that you've never met before. And, you know, uh, build community that way. Um, and so just to see him blossom yeah. in that way has been really, really fun. That's um, awesome. And he's, you know, he's doing his thing, man. He's, he's now a, a paid photographer, um, doing gigs and he's got a couple of projects, um, that he's working on right now that he swore me to secrecy on. So I won't spoil <laughs> that for him now, but, uh, he's, he's just an incredible dude. So, um, yeah, for the listeners out there, man, walk with locals on Instagram. I'm going to go ahead and plug his, he Do didn't, it, I, I didn't plan on plugging this, but walk with locals on Instagram. 
Um, if you like photography and just genuine people, um, check it out. Yeah, Washington, so, D.C., You know what, right? I, dude, I bet he would be incredible to have on this podcast. Ooh, I'll take him. Yep, he would be incredible. If he's willing. I'm sure he would. He does it all the time. He does these, like, Instagram, like, uh, chats or whatever, like, with a split screen. Dude, he's been featured in the Washington Post. No shit. Um, he's got, you know, brands that have bought his photography to use for ad campaigns. Um, he's just this unassuming dude that, is just punching well above like his weight. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it's like one of the most inspiring things ever. So, yeah, man. Uh, let him know. Let me know. Yeah. I would love to have him on here <laughs> if, uh, if he's willing to do it. Yeah, dude. That'd Definitely. be awesome. Uh, so we're coming up on How an hour and 20 minutes. Holy. Yeah, man. It's flown by. It feels yeah. like 15 minutes. Definitely. Yeah, time <laughs> flies when you're having fun, I guess. Huh? Yeah, man. I think uh, the only thing that I know that's been a while is like, I'm hungry. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah well i guess we'll uh we'll close it there you can grab some food and yeah man fuck, we'll get we'll get something to eat uh <laughs> but man thanks for coming on here man yeah definitely. It, it thanks for blast. having me yeah it was fun man um yeah I, I enjoyed this immensely i was i wasn't really nervous coming over here but i was like oh, i don't really know like how this is gonna go <laughs> you know i don't really know what to talk about but i guess yeah Dude, you're my first it out. guest, so yeah, I, I think it worked well. Cool, man. I think this would be awesome. Uh, and dude, you have an actual podcast setup. Damn, so Skippy. I, yeah, I think I mentioned this at the beginning. I thought we were going to be talking into a, an iPhone microphone. So um, yeah, it's legit, man. It's legit. My little setup here. Yeah, uh, the wife wasn't happy when I made the purchase, but uh, it's an investment. <laughs> uh, but dude, uh, I know you're taking off soon. Uh, but if I can get you on here again, man, later. Yeah, let's do it. Probably over the phone or virtually or whatnot. Love to have you on again, man. Sounds good. All right, bro. All right, everybody. We will see y'all uh, later. All right. Thanks for having me.